Good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath to you. Are you able to hear me? Praise the Lord. It's good to see you. Now, I haven't seen you in the new year, so I'm going to tell you, Happy New Year to you. You look good. The Lord has taken care of you, and we've made it to 2018. Does that even sound right to you? 2018. It it was interesting when I was listening to Shalon sing when she said, do we still believe he's coming? I'm like, "I I still can't believe we're still here in 2018. But praise God that he has given us another year of life, enabled us to see another year, another opportunity to draw closer to him, and hopefully more opportunities to hasten his return. It would be nice that if it were 2019 and we're in the New Jerusalem, wouldn't that be nice? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, as we enter what I would call this undiscovered country of 2018, I'm sure some of us, or maybe even most of us, or maybe only a few of us have made some resolutions or some, new, some goals for the new year. And, you know, a lot of times we make goals and resolutions for the new year. Some people think that's good. Some people think that's bad. You know, oh, you're just going to, you know, they're just going to fall off by the time February comes. But, you know, I don't think there's really an issue with making a resolution or a commitment to do better in the new year. But here's the thing. If we're going to experience any kind of success in the new year, this new year, or any other year, it isn't about something that we do, but it's about some place we need to go. If we're going to have success in this year or any other year, we have to go to Gilgal. Gilgal, Gilgal, let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, I ask you humbly to please give us ears, all of us, including me as the speaker, so that we will hear your word. Give us minds that will understand what it is that you are telling us in your word. And Father, through the Holy Spirit's influence and power, give us the will to do what it is that you have revealed to us to do. We thank you in advance for your blessings in the name of Jesus and for his sake. And the people of God together will say, amen. Amen. Gilgal. Gilgal. Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. When you read Joshua chapter 5, you'll see that we aren't the only ones, or we weren't the only ones entering into new territory. You see, the children of Israel were finally leaving the wilderness and entering Canaan, and they were being led by their new leader, Joshua. The Lord, interestingly, told Joshua to lead the children of Israel to the Jordan River. And for those of you who are Bible scholars, you know he asked Joshua or told Joshua to lead them to the Jordan River at a point where the banks were overflowing, just like God to do something like that. So he takes them there. So what happens? God miraculously opens up the Jordan River and that entire 
congregation, those millions of people crossed over on dry land into Canaan, just as God promised to Abraham and his descendants hundreds of years before, giving the children of Israel the land of Canaan. It's at this point that Joshua chapter 5 verse 1 reads, and so it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we crossed over that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who had come out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers, that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was, when they had finished circumcising all the people, that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month, at twilight on the plains of Jericho. Thus reads the scripture. Gilgal. If we're going to accomplish anything in this year, or in our walk with God, most particularly, we have to go to Gilgal. Now, how interesting. Notice what God did in this passage. Notice what he did when he dried up the Jordan, allowed the children of Israel, or enabled them to pass through on dry land, miraculously doing this. He was preparing the way for the children of Israel. How did he do that? We saw what happened in the verses. When they heard, the Canaanite kings heard what the Lord had done, that the children of Israel at this point when the, when the river was overflowing, when there was no way that they should have gotten into Canaan, when they heard that the Lord had dried up the Jordan and allowed them or enabled them to go through, they were terrified. Why were they terrified? Because they knew for something like that to happen, God was with them. There is no way anything would stop them. 
I like the way Jameson puts it. They probably, they being the kings of Canaan, they probably reckoned that the swollen river interposing them for a time provided a sure barrier of defense. But seeing that it had been completely dried up, they were completely paralyzed by so incontestable a proof that God was on the side of the invaders, the children of Israel. They were terrified because they saw that God was with them. Matthew Henry says they probably thought to themselves, who's going to stop them if the river will open up for them and they can walk on dry land? Likewise, here's a lesson for us. Just like God prepared the way for the children of Israel to go into Canaan, he's doing the same thing for us. He prepares the way for us. And he does it in such a way that we have nothing to do with it. It's all his power. It's all his enabling. It's all his provision. And just like the enemies of Israel were terrified, when they saw what God did for them, our enemies are terrified as well. Whether it's those that oppose us in our faith, whether it's those who are somehow irritated by us, those who want to stop our progress, certainly in our Christian walk or in the things of this earth that the Lord wants to give to us, and Satan himself is terrified. Why would he be terrified? See, it's not merely that God was able to provide, but what the children of Israel did, they knew that God could provide, and they stepped out in faith. They were led to an area where there was no way they should have been able to cross, but those priests put their foot in the water, and then the water parted. In other words, when we step out on faith, even when it is something that is absolutely crazy or seemingly crazy, but when we step out in obedience and faith to what God would have us to do, the enemies look at us and like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do with them? They're not afraid of us. They're not afraid to step out on faith. They're not afraid to attempt the impossible. And we serve a God that can do the impossible. So when we step out on faith, marvelous things happen in the enemy. While they may try to keep coming after us, they get discomfited. They get uncomfortable. They lose confidence because we're stepping out in faith, keeping the commandments of the Lord, doing what he would have us to do, even though it may be strange. And if you read any part of scripture, God can ask us to do some strange things. You've seen it. Abraham, take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him. Children of Israel, you're escaping Pharaoh. Here's the way to go. No, we're not going to go through a clear way. We're going to take you right up to the sea and make you do this stuff. Disciples, go get me some food to feed these millions of people here as I, after, I, after I preach to them. doesn't make any sense. But when we step out on faith, as these individuals did, we see God move marvelously. And God will do the same thing for us. And he will discomfort our enemies as well. But here, and he will give us the victory. Victory over what? First of all, victory over sin. He will give us the victory over sin. He will give us victory and accomplishments for his glory. And finally, he will give us the victory of entering the heavenly Canaan. Just like they entered the earthly Canaan, 
It was a sure thing, and they shouldn't have been able to do it in their own strength, and they didn't do it in their own strength. Likewise, we will enter the heavenly kingdom through the power, enabling, and provision of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. We will do it. But before we get to victory, God has to take care of some business with the children of Israel. First things first, what is this business that he has to do? Before he's going to give them any kind of success, before they shout down the walls of Jericho, they've got to restore, or he has to restore the relationship between himself and Israel before they do anything in the promised land. We saw it in verse 2. God commanded Joshua, make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So before you do anything, before you capture Jericho, Ai, or any of the other ites that live in that area, the Amorites, the Hittites, all the ites, before you get to any of those people, we're going to restore relationship between ourselves first you got to go to Gilgal. So what was the symbol of that relationship being restored? Circumcision. So what is circumcision all about? You'll find it in Genesis chapter 17. In particular verse, particularly verse 7, it says, And I will establish my covenant between me and thee. He's talking to Abraham. Between thy seed and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. So what circumcision? It's stepping out in faithful obedience and identifying yourself as one of God's people. It was symbolic, that cutting away of the flesh was symbolic of renouncing the flesh and the world. It was a dying to self and a living to God. That's what circumcision symbolized. That's what God said, look, you're going to die to me, and we're going to be one. You're going to be my people, and all of your kindred after me forever will be my people. That's what circumcision symbolized. So when they engaged in that, they were stepping out and affirming that, yes, I'm coming. We are coming into relationship with you, Lord. So you have the establishment of the relationship. Notice what God says to Joshua. Circumcise the people. The second time. So when was the first time? Okay, as a nation, we're not sure exactly what time it was or exactly what date, but it could have been at two points. One, it could have occurred the first time as a nation prior to their leaving Egypt when they took the Passover. Now, why would they say it's possible that they would have been circumcised at that time? Well, why would we speculate on that, or why would that be a possibility? Because when you read in Exodus chapter 24, it says that no uncircumcised person will partake of the Passover. So it stands the reason that they may have gone through a ritual of circumcision prior to the Passover and then going out of Egypt. Or it could have happened when the relationship between themselves and God was ratified at Mount Sinai. So the first time probably took place either in Egypt or shortly thereafter at Sinai. But whichever time it took place first, it was the nation, Israel as a nation, accepting the covenant with God and accepting that circumcision 
as a sign that they were God's people. But of course, there was a break in the relationship. We look in verses 5 and 6 of Joshua chapter 5. It talks about how the relationship was broken. They got into the wilderness, they had been circumcised, but there was a relationship break. When did that happen? At Kadesh. When you look in, you know the story, when you look in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, Moses sent how many spies into Canaan to spy it out? Twelve spies. How many came back with a good report? Two. The rest lacked faith. They discouraged the people. Joshua and Caleb said, hey, we can take this land. We've spied it out. The Lord had them right at the edge of Canaan. The rest of the people said, no, we can't take it. They're giants. It's too much for us. Furthermore, why'd you bring us out here anyway? You brought us out here to kill us. We were better off in Egypt. At least we didn't have to deal with all this. You know what? Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to idolatry. Let's have a lack of faith in God. We can't do this. And by the way, since you're posing an impediment, Joshua and Caleb saying we should go forward when we're going to get killed, guess what? We're going to stone you. God miraculously intervened on behalf of Joshua and Caleb, and he said, you know what? I've led you right to the edge of Canaan. Since you lacked faith, since you said I brought you out here to this wilderness to kill you, guess what? Everybody 20 years old and up is going to die right here in this wilderness. I'm going to march you through a 40-year dirge and let you by attrition die off 20 years and older. Only Joshua and Caleb will get to go into the new, into Canaan. A lack of faith. And at that point, they were, the relationship was broken because they, they lacked faith. They lacked faith to the point that God, you know what, we're not even gonna follow you, we're gonna go back to Egypt. That was a deep thing that they did when they displayed that lack of faith. So there was a break in relationship at that point. Now God forgave them, but they were never fully back in relationship. Because from that point forward, there was no more circumcision. And remember, circumcision was the sign of the relationship between God and his people, that he was going to be their God, they were going to be his people, and there was no more circumcision from that point forward. That's why Joshua says in the scripture that from that time, those who were born in the wilderness hadn't been circumcised. But God says, guess what, Josh? Get out your knife and I want you to circumcise the people the second time. What a merciful God. He said, we're going to try this again. Now that we're going into Canaan, now that I'm, I've kept my word, we're going to take you into Canaan. Now here is a lesson for us. This is something that we have to think about. As we go into the new year, as we proceed into 2018, Maybe there was a break of some sort in our relationship with God in 2017. Maybe we looked at our Canaan or we looked at the challenges that this life brought to us and said, you know what, this is just too hard. Maybe we were just like, "Uh uh-uh, we can't do this, you know, I can't overcome this or I can't accomplish this. And we decided to go our own way, do our own thing. Or maybe you said, well, I didn't turn away from God, but maybe you didn't step out on faith the way you could have. Maybe the relationship stayed stagnant. 
Maybe when you should have been going forward, you went a little left. Were we intimidated by the challenges to reach Canaan? Most importantly, our heavenly Canaan. Did we not place enough reliance on the Holy Spirit to enable us to overcome? Or were we so distracted by what we saw? Whether it was on the TV, whether it was in the news, whether it was in, in our workplace or whatever, maybe it was the own cha- our own household challenges, maybe we were so distracted by that that we didn't move forward in faith with God. And maybe there was a break in our relationship, or maybe the relationship wasn't what it could have been in 2017. Well, here's the thing. Just like the Lord brought the children of Israel in his mercy once again to Canaan, he's giving us another chance in 2018 to begin again, to break out the knives and to cut off the foreskins. Renewed relationship. That's the opportunity the Lord is giving us. This new generation was going to be circumcised and was circumcised. One, as we said before, why? God is renewing the relationship. Why would he bring deliverance and victory to a group that wasn't even in relationship with him, that wasn't even committed to him, that wasn't even relying on him in faith? Why would he do that? Of course he would do this first. And it's the same thing with us. If we expect victory, if we expect the blessings of God, if we expect expect his provision and his protection, We need to be in relationship with him. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a little tired of hearing this cheap Christianity that I keep hearing bandied about on the radio and on TV and in popular theology. You know, we can get everything, but we don't have to sacrifice anything. That's satanic. And I don't say that loosely. What does Satan want? Satan wanted power without character. So when we want benefits and power and provision without character, guess what? We are mimicking the original archfiend. We have to get in relationship with God. And it was symbolized, of course, by circumcision. The blood of the circumcision, it it, it denoted a living sacrifice that we are to make to God. It was symbolic of that living sacrifice that we're supposed to make. But the circumcision also symbolize something else. Remember, the children of Israel are going into Canaan, and they're supposed to be doing what? Conquering the land of Canaan. God was showing them by circumcising them at that point that if you're going to do this, it's going to be by my strength and my strength alone. Why do I say that? They crossed, and it's interesting, I think um, David Guzik makes this point. They crossed, think about this, they crossed into Canaan at the point where they were in front of Jericho. Jericho was the strongest citadel in Canaan. Why in the world would God have them cross there? If it me, I'd come off from the corner, off from the out of the cut, or some other little nook or whatever. I'd sneak up on them. God said, mm-mm. You're going to come right out, and you're going to come right out in front of Jericho. I mean, it's like they're sitting ducks. It makes no sense. 
at least from a statecraft standpoint. I mean, I'm no military genius, but even I know that. You don't just come right all out in the open. I mean, you're sitting out there like a sitting duck. But he has them coming right out through the Jordan in front of the strongest fortified city in Canaan. Then, to top that off, not only am I going to have you come out and camp out right in front of this fortified city, I'm going to command all the men get circumcised. In other words, I'm going to incapacitate you for several days. Now, I've never been circumcised, but I've read about it. It doesn't seem very pleasant. Remember in the Old Testament when Jacob's sons kind of tricked the, the city of Shechem into circumcision? They did that for a reason. They were trying to weaken them so they could go in and kill them for taking their sister or being inappropriate with their sister. They did that because it weakens you for several days. So the Lord has them coming out in front of the strongest fortified city in Canaan, then, okay, circumcise you. So not only are you, you got me out here by, you know, like a sitting duck. Now, I can't even halfway fight, or the men can't, because they're all circumcised. It took them days to recover. What was God saying? If you're going to do this, it's going to be me. I'm the one who's going to give you the victory. I'm the one who's going to give you prosperity. I'm the one who's going to enable you to conquer this land. I'm not even going to let it come into your mind that you had anything to do with it. All you need to do is step out on faith. And that's exactly what they did. You don't see in the scripture, unlike when they were at Kadesh, they're hemming and hawing and complaining and wanting to stone Joshua and Caleb and wanting to go back to Egypt. They just go ahead and do it this time. They go right it. They stepped out on faith. And that's what God is trying to teach us. I like the way Matthew Henry says it. He says that God was showing them and teaching us that if we're going to have any kind of victory, if we're going to have any kind of success, we have to completely depend on God. Period. That's what he was saying, dependence on God. So our success comes to relationship with God. So what do we have to do? We have to get circumcised too. What did Jeremiah 4 say, 4 verse 4 say? Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart. Remember, circumcision was symbolic of getting away, leaving the world, leaving the flesh. So we have to circumcise our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can go forward in faith, go forward in relationship with God, and have the success that he will give, which will be the only lasting success we will have. We have to go forward in faith. There's no making ourselves better. No we aren't going to keep one resolution. We're not going to have any last lasting achievements, and we certainly aren't going to make it into the kingdom unless we circumcise our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, give ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. And then in verse 9, praise the Lord, Israel's reproach was rolled away. They got back into relationship with God. They stepped out in faith with God, and their reproach was rolled away. The Lord says in verse 9, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. The word Gilgal means 
wheel or rolling. He's saying, I've rolled away your reproach. All of that business that you, where you fell off the wagon at Kadesh, all rolled away. You see, here's the thing. Why was it a reproach? What did he mean by rolling away their reproach? When Israel left Egypt, the whole point of God delivering them out of Egypt was to take them to the promised land, right? To take them to Canaan. That was the whole point. But when they were disobedient, they had to wander for 40 years. That resulted from their rebellion against God. That was a reproach. Now, in what way was it a reproach? Because, see, they weren't restored to full relationship with God as they wandered in, 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 excuse me, in the wilderness. God forgave them. But again, remember, they weren't circumcised. So they weren't fully restored. They were wandering in the wilderness and weren't in Canaan as God designed for them to be. So their situation in the wilderness, out of full relationship with God, not having gotten to Canaan, really placed them in a position that made them no better than they were than when they were in Egypt. So they still carried their reproach. Now, when the relationship was restored through circumcision and commitment to God, that's when the reproach was rolled away. And likewise, the Lord can roll away our reproach. Maybe we didn't do everything right in 2017. Maybe we didn't go forward as we should have gone forward. Maybe we lacked faith in God. And maybe we didn't overcome sin and all the other things that easily beset us the way we should have. But God is prepared to roll away our reproach if we just merely submit to him. He will restore us. What's he going to do? He's going to restore us. He's going to give us personal spiritual growth. He's going to give us power to influence others for God. And of course, ultimately, we're going to enter the Canaan land, the heavenly Canaan. He's going to move us from glory to glory. Our Christian experience can't be static. We're not supposed to stay in one place. The Bible says we are to go from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We're to be a light to others, and ultimately, we're going to meet Jesus in peace when he comes in the clouds of heaven. And if you watch the news, world events, or anything, any time lately, I think we're closer than we are, we've ever been. Now is the time for us to enter. Finally, in verse 10, they celebrate the Passover. The reproach has been rolled away. They've been circumcised. They're now back in relationship with God and prepared to enter Canaan, and they now celebrate the Passover. How ironic that the very institution that symbolized their deliverance from Egypt and bondage is now observed again because now their deliverance has been fully accomplished. They have arrived through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can experience that too, because we know that Christ is now our Passover. And we can experience the fullness of relationship and victory with him. We can accomplish this, and we can get there. But before we get anywhere in victory, we've got to first go to Gilgal. Again, look at what he did with the children of Israel. 
Not one stone is going to fall. Not one city is going to fall. You're not going to do anything in this land until you come to Gilgal and achieve this relationship with me through sacrifice. We're not going to do it either. We're not going to accomplish anything unless we come to Gilgal. Gilgal symbolic of our getting in relationship with God or getting back in relationship with God. Otherwise, it's an exercise in futility. As we conclude, if I could have some music just to close us out. We see this in the account. God wanted to restore that relationship first with the children of Israel before they stepped any further. Before we take one more step in 2018, we need to do the same thing. As we close, think about this. After the circumcision has taken place, after the Passover has taken place, now Joshua goes off by himself to pray alone for guidance so he can be led as far as how to accomplish victory in Canaan, how to overcome Jericho. It's at this point that God appears to him in the form of a soldier. And of course, Joshua being the soldier that he is, he's on guard. He was like, hey, who are you? Are you with us? Or are you for our enemies? That soldier says to him, nay, but as captain of the hosts of the Lord, I am come. As Lord Sabaoth, Captain of the armies of the Lord, I'm here to meet you. Take off your shoes, Joshua, because I'm no ordinary soldier. You're standing on holy grounds. At that point, Joshua bows to him and worships him. And at that time, and at not one point before, then God gives him the plan to overcome Jericho. Again, God's not going to give us any victory or any plans for victory until we get into relationship with him. We've got to go to Gilgal. It's not about what we do. It's about where we go. We have to go to the feet of Jesus and submit ourselves and get in relationship or get back in relationship with him. How many of you want to do that this morning? Let's stand with me. Let's stand together stand together as we ask the Lord to bring us back to Gilgal. And let's bow our heads at this time, and I want you to pray, because there may be someone at this point who has, even if you've had an experience with Jesus Christ, you've walked away for whatever reason, it's none of my business. But you want to have that Gilgal experience with the Lord. You want to get into relationship with God. This is a God who loves you, who comes after you like the hound of heaven, who won't let go of your scent. You want that relationship with Jesus Christ. Whether you've had it before or you've never had it before, you want to get back in relationship with him and give your life to him. He has only good in store for you. And if you think about it, what's your alternative 
The alternative is death. And being in collusion with an enemy who does not have your best interests at heart, but God wants you to have life and life more abundantly to the full. If you want to give your life to Jesus Christ for the first time, or the second time, or the third time, whatever time it is, raise your hand at this time. Amen, my sister here. Amen. Praise the Lord. My sister here. Amen. Amen. My brother here to the right. Amen. Amen, my sister. Anyone else want to give your life to Jesus Christ for the first time or the second time or whatever time? And thank you, my sister in the back. Praise the Lord. I saw you. Heaven saw you. Praise the Lord. And for those of you who raised your hands, you want to commit your life to Jesus. Amen, my sister in the back. Amen. If you want to commit your life to God in baptism or rebaptism, please see Fesla or Elder Nordegren. Is there anyone else who wants to give their life to Jesus? He wants you to meet him at Gilgal. He wants the best for you. He wants to take you into a place of abundance. Is there anyone else who wants to come to Gilgal? He's waiting for you, as my grandma would say. My grandma said to someone who hadn't been who walked away from the Lord, every time she'd see that person, she'd say to them, your friend is waiting for you. Your friend is waiting for you. And that friend is Jesus Christ. Anyone else want to give their life to Jesus Christ? Let's have a word of prayer.